0: With increasing pressure from political and community opposition groups, the race is on to find a substitute for the pest poison 1080. But what are the alternatives and how soon will they be available? For this Radio New Zealand Insight programme, Matthew Petty investigates.
1: a bird listening sight. Temperature's one degree. Uh, it's cloudless and there's no
2: wind. Department of Conservation officer Ian Gill has led me into the bush a few hundred meters from the road which winds through the Oterra Valley on the west coast. The sun's glinting off the snowy mountains towards Arthurs Pass and the birds are waking up. 1080 poison has been dropped from the air on this valley to kill introduced pests since the 1960s. Mr Gill says he comes here to record the birdsong and to show people that native birds haven't been killed off by the poison. It's one of several bird listening stations on the west coast.
1: I just use this one here because it's accessible from the road. I have had two or three others but they're a bit of a hike to get to and it's not as convenient for bringing people to. Usually anyone that's interested in the topic really and wants to have a look at birds will have a listen to them. It's a great place.
2: With Ian Gill on this early morning expedition is DOC Technical Support Officer Mark Martini. Kaka, Bellbird, Tui and
3: Weka are just some of the birds we've heard. There was grey warbler, oh, a number of exotics, so there was a few chaffinches there, and um, heard a blackbird further down. Tomtits, yeah, there was certainly plenty of tomtits. Tomtits are the one you can hear, that's in there. It's like a squeaky wheelbarrow, we call it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, plenty of tomtits. Silver eyes. There's some creeper earlier on. Creeper got a slightly h- harsher sound, that um, kind of a noise. And they're quite neat. They'll quite often flock up and tend to get them higher in the canopy. The canopy feeder. Yeah, most things were there. I mean, a reasonable five-minute bird count. The
2: 1080 operations, which have been going on here since 1964, from your yep. point of view, that they're they're doing the job.
3: Oh, absolutely. Oh, um, you can hear for yourself. You know, you often hear the same old rhetoric. Oh, it kills everything. Everything's dead. And you know, this would be ground zero. I mean, this is the longest history of well certainly on the coast anyway you know that it's had consecutive treatments and in my opinion it's done wonders for the bird population in here valleys you know valleys nearby that you go to the forest is in poorer condition it doesn't hold the birds that this really good quality forest does you know because of that browsing pressure and also the direct predation pressure as well which also occurs with new pest species
2: Dock carries out pest control on about 560,000 hectares a year and spends about $5 million on 1080 control operations. 1080 has dropped by helicopter over about 150,000 hectares of rugged backcountry, or 2% of public conservation land. As we make our way back to the road, Mark Martini tells me up until the early 1990s, some people were still releasing possums into areas of bush to get colonies established for the fur trade. He points out signs of possum browsing and says this valley is due for another poison drop.
3: So this is Pate, This tree here is real. So you see it's come from nearby. So when a possum browses on this, see they rip the see that beast, the piece of the base there, that big bit, it's called the petiole. You see? Right. Him? See none of these have them? Okay. So the old possum all he does is he walks up a tree, he bites that off, that's all he wants. That one little piece there, and so they'll actually, they can completely defoliate a tree in one night for you know just eating all those little pieces. So they've actually been quite active because there's another couple of trees that have been ripped to shreds down a bit further. So, yeah, they can have quite an impact on these guys. You know, for very little food that they actually want, um, they can have quite a big impact. So, you actually, once you get your iron point, you can walk around. And you just see the, the carpets of the stuff see it all under your feet. But you'll literally there'll be a carpet. There'll just be a complete an area full of it where one possum sat there over the night and, and cleaned it up.
2: 1080 or sodium fluoroacetate is a highly effective killer of mammals such as possums, causing them to die of respiratory failure. It's based on a naturally occurring compound, and Doc says the science shows it breaks down in water, posing little risk to humans. Killing possums and other predators, Doc says, restricts TB and protects wild birds. But opponents claim it's an indiscriminate poison, causing an agonising death to birds and dogs as well as pests. Some of the most passionate opposition can be heard on the west coast.
4: Just as we're driving do you keep your eye to see how many of these anti-1080 signs you see.
2: 200 kilometres north of the Otera Valley is the settlement of Hector. I take a drive with Laurie Collins, who began his life in the bush as a deer colour and was involved in early trials of 1080 in the New Zealand bush about 50 years ago. Since then he's campaigned against it. He says there are too many unknown factors about its long-term effects on human and animal health to keep dropping it from the air. We turn off the main road and drive up a bumpy track.
4: this is the the lower reaches of the Mokanui River in Bulla and um, we've had concerns for a while that the bird life in here has deteriorated badly since the 1080 drops so we're just going to go for a walk and see what we can see or hear now you should have adequate bird life in here there's no reason why not it's a healthy forest you should hear them and you should see them and you've got a good track to walk along You've got a wee bit of noise from the river, but that shouldn't interfere with what you might, what you should see and hear. Department of Conservation have some five minute bird count sites where they sit there with their specialist gear and look and listen and supposedly find there's nothing wrong. So we'll just go for a walk and have a look. Around a bend in the track,
2: two men with clipboards sit under a tree. They're counting birds, but they won't say who they're working
4: for. That. But why would being in the bush counting birds be confidential? I have no idea who they would be working for but I almost guarantee they're being paid by the public. But that sort of thing shouldn't be confidential.
2: The Department of Conservation says five minute bird counts are often done before and after pest control operations and the work is carried out either by dock staff or volunteers. Laurie Collins doesn't accept the argument that possums and other pests are devastating the bush and threatening the native birds, and he's dubious about alternative toxins to 1080.
4: The trouble is with the alternatives there's no money in it. You know, I don't think the Animal Health Board or the Department of Conservation are overly interest interested as Fred Smith's making a fortune out of dead possums because there's no money in it for them. The ultimate successful alternative has got to be ground-based, it's got to attract the price high enough to get good men back in the bush, and they're available, there's no doubt about that, there's any amount of them available. We've got ac- cheap access to small helicopters, so none of this country is inaccessible. It's a country you can get through. You don't, you wouldn't deliberately do it because it is hard country. But you do the bits where you could get at and you'll find that's where most of your, your possums are, if there's any at all.
2: But DOC and the Animal Health Board question the effectiveness of trapping in some of the rough country where they dropped 1080. This year hundreds of protesters marched through Hokitika in May with a petition demanding an end to aerial 1080 use. They warned the Westland District Council that unless it took a stand it might be voted out in the local body elections. The mayor, Maureen Pugh, was re-elected this month by a comfortable margin. She says the council forwarded the petition to the government and it also put wording into the district plan to restrict the aerial use of 1080.
5: That is going to be a very public process and it's going to be a long and protracted one, I imagine. Um, It's very difficult for us to even get some clear guidance on whether it's uh, legally able to happen in terms of a district plan rule. But uh, we, we hope that these signals from us, as the Westland District Council, act as a catalyst for change in the way that aerial operation is undertaken.
2: The council reached an agreement with the Animal Health Board and DOC to exclude water catchments from aerial operations, and Ms Pugh thinks further compromise is possible.
5: If there isn't some shift in the way that the operations are managed and undertaken... The community unrest is going to escalate, and the last thing I want to see is civil disobedience. You know, there were arrests made this year. I don't want to see that happen again. We should be able to sit down as adults and work through these issues. It's not that difficult.
2: The Westland District Council is one of a handful across the country which has taken a stand on 1080. Iwi groups are also turning against the poison.
5: Oh, My name is Sister Tui Kadigan, I am of um, Makafio Karimahaki descent, taipu
2: Sister Tui Kadigan, the outgoing chair of the Makafio Runanga on the west coast, says the hapu has just signed off on a 10-year consent to let Doc use 1080, but after consultation with its members, it became clear that was a mistake.
5: For Papa Tuanuku, for whenua herself. You know, you wouldn't be poisoning your your grand- Well, you might want to poison your grandmother, of course, but it's not a norm. Or your great grandmother, and she is she is too finua to us. So, aside from whatever it achieves or doesn't achieve, the putting of poison into finua is is absolutely against the whole spiritual philosophy, if you like, of of Māori, wherever Māori are in the country. You, you wouldn't do that if you have, if you're the relationship with finua. So. Um, and, and you know a Māori without land or well, that that connection to is is kind of like nobody at all, so it 's an essential part of the identity.
2: Sister Cadigan says Makafio wants to withdraw its agreement for Dr use ten eighty. She also wants to see more work done to explore the trapping option about an hour 's drive south of Hoketika near Lake Ianthe, Peter Salter plies his trade as a possum trapper.
6: Come here. Gintraps. Just a leg trap. They're a lot more humane mm-hmm. than the old gin traps. Gin traps had serrated jaws on them.
2: Mr. Salter loads the traps into his two-seater Robinson R22 helicopter, and we climb on board.
6: She's—it's uh, not so bad this time of the year now, but she's not a morning machine. I'm just priming it. That's your. Uh, In layman's terms, that's your accelerator.
2: We fly north across the forest, then make a right turn up over the foothills. 1080 has recently been sown on this land from the air.
6: One of their big arguments is that they only lay poison in areas that are inaccessible to ground hunters. So I'll show you how inaccessible this is. You know, an old lady in a mobility scooter could get around this country.
2: Peter Salter explains that poisoning has reduced the possum numbers to a level where his helicopter is a necessity, not a luxury.
6: They've dropped 1080 in areas that are really easy going, low front country here. We now have to fly right back, further back into the mountains, which makes it more dangerous for us. You know, There's a lot more weather dependent to get back there. Uh, I've got to look at the weather maps on both sides of the mountains now to see what's happening on the Canterbury side because, you know, if there's a southerly up there, there's no way I'm going to get up some of those mountains. It's pointless going back there to try and set traps if you can't go around them every day. So, yeah, it's it's made life more difficult for us. Also the fact that everybody around here is paranoid at the moment with their dogs. You know, we've we've all got to keep an eye on our dogs because um, there's dead deer and and possums and, and everything else rotting out there in the bush. It's like a cancer that's been introduced into the local community. It's hurt hurt businesses, it's hurt friendships, it's hurt families. It's hurt everything and, and it's just not a way of controlling animals. It's, it's barbaric and it's indiscriminate.
2: Mr Salter rejects the argument that possums are responsible for the decline in native birds. He says the possums are more likely to be found in easily accessible areas. And he believes a bounty system for trappers could bring the numbers down without recourse to poison. Peter Salter sets off in his helicopter again to lay traps for the afternoon. I continue driving south, stopping at Hurry Hurry to speak to Mary Malloy from Farmers Against 1080. We sit under the wind chimes on the deck of her farmhouse. And Mrs Malloy explains she'd rather see possum control done around the farm edges with cyanide baits laid by hand.
7: Farmers against 1080 are are practical people and basically that's the kind of operation we think should be taking place. We don't need any more fancy bits and pieces and uh, we're not overrun by possums. We certainly were in the early days but we didn't have TB and we did have birds. Given that possums die four to six months after contracting TB, Uh, If you can keep the the possums from interacting with an infected herd, either dairy or deer, then it'll die out in the wild. Possum numbers on the west coast are generally very low and that appears to be the case for most areas of New Zealand currently.
2: But there are just as many farmers who thank 1080 for the decline of TB in deer and cattle. Helen Lash lives about 30 kilometres south of Hari Hari in lush dairy country.
7: Wataroa Valley Flat, um, it's one of the many pockets of land running down the coast. You have the hills running up to the sea, then you have a pocket of land. As you've got here, you've, had, you've been through Harry Harry. It's the same in France, the same in Fox Glacier. You just, you get the mountains, you get the ridges going up to the sea, and then you'll get a nice flat valley with, with good productive rural land you know, running through there.
2: Helen Lash is the spokesperson for TB Free West Coast which represents farmers and other stakeholders in the Animal Health Board's pest control operations. She says 12 years ago there were 257 infected herds. Now there are just 42, thanks to a four-pronged approach of testing, restricting stock movement and ground and aerial control. Mrs Lash says there's been too much time, money and effort poured into TB Control to stop now.
7: We get people saying that most of the problems on the coast are from bad trading of stock or illicit movements of stock. No, it's not. I'm so involved with the program and the vets that design the program, the vets that work with the infection and stuff. And I know from talking to the farmers, I know what's going on, and we're just not in that position at the moment. You know, we've got areas where there's been work done, and there's been that sort of filthy area of dirty possums for a long time. And we're having a hell of a job breaking that cycle that's in that area. And we're throwing a lot at it. But until we break that, Dirty little beast that's sitting there, if we took the aerial control out of that, that, that area would be just a savaged with TB. You know, it would just go through those herds so quickly.
2: Helen Lash says doing away with aerial 1080 control isn't an option. But are there other alternatives that could be used? Researchers at Lincoln University are developing new toxins and more sophisticated traps. Steve Hicks, who works for the pest control company Connovation, gives me a tour of the lab.
5: The
4: This is what happens if you leave your coat too close to a rat's cage. It pulled the whole sleeve in, chewed it off.
2: Steve Hicks and his colleague, Dr. Helen Blackie, are working to develop a high tech tunnel trap for stoats.
0: This guy's extremely, extremely chatty, so he'll just sort of chat it away to us while we're working in here. But um...
4: It's probably a a bit of a warning.
0: Yes, we saying, you know...
4: Just get out of my space.
0: Don't come any closer. They're very brave little, little creatures, but see how he, he makes the noise? And...
2: The stoat is automatically sprayed with a dose of poison as it runs through the tunnel.
0: This is our new design of what is a resettable system for the control of stoats. So that means we've got a tunnel system which is going to have a toxin in, and uh, the stoat runs through the system... It sprays a toxin onto the stoat's belly. The stoat then moves off and licks the toxin off and um, dies and it's a very humane toxin with an antidote. So this is the new system that we're just testing now and we're hoping that this is going to eventually take over from having to set kill traps in the field for stoats and uh, we think we can get 500 doses of toxin off one tunnel so effectively you've got a device which you can leave for several years in the field and it will offer continuous control over a long period of time which saves a huge amount of money because you don't have people like dock workers going out and clearing traps and resetting traps and um, you don't have a device which is only limited to killing one animal.
2: This trap could be adapted for possums. The Department of Conservation has also begun to use resetting traps supplied by another company. Dr Blackie says safeguards will be built into the trap to prevent native birds getting caught, including species recognition scanning technology. What do they think of the idea of a bounty to control possums?
4: You know the fur hunting is generally aimed at the higher population areas so that they can actually make a really a good amount of money as they want to out of the possum resource. So. To get it the next little bit down you really need to have other methods in there to make sure that the possum numbers are reduced to, to low enough levels to prevent conservation damage and to prevent the transmission of TB. That's really the, the key thing you want and fur hunting doesn't always achieve that. But maybe there is room for some integration between the fur hunting and that goal if there could be some sort of synergy worked in there it's a possibility it could work quite well.
2: I leave Dr. Blackie and Mr. Hicks to their research and head across the Lincoln campus to speak to Charles Eason, a professor of wildlife management and an expert in toxin development.
1: We've had uh, 1080 use in New Zealand for 50 years. It's well tried and tested, it's well understood, but as you know, its use does remain controversial for a number of reasons. There are concerns about welfare and secondary poisoning of dogs that might eat a possum carcass. And so we, we are looking at a range of, of toxin alternatives which we would hope would have greater
2: acceptance on amongst a broader sector of the community. Other poisons being used include cyanide, which is fast-acting and considered more humane, but also more dangerous to humans, and brodifacoum, an anticoagulant typically used to kill rats. Dr Eason says new toxins like paraaminopropiophenone, or PAP, and sodium nitrite are more humane. They inhibit oxygen uptake in the blood, effectively putting the animal to sleep. These toxins are being developed and tested, but there are still issues to be worked out about how to deploy them. Dr Eason says the Environmental Risk Management Authority's reassessment of 1080 three years ago gave the toxin the flashing amber light, and there's increasing pressure to find an alternative. The amount of poison used in TN80 pellets has decreased over time but in some areas its use has been extended as rabbits develop immunity to the RHD virus. And although the research on new toxins, fertility control for possums and more sophisticated traps hold promise, it's expensive and time-consuming.
1: It is very challenging and it is not a quick process. So when people say we want alternative toxins and we want them now well, with the best will in the world and the most vivacious research group and, and manufacturers, it's hard to deliver that fast. I think it's also, one can't blame IRMA or New Zealand Food Safety Authority. It's up to us to make sure we have good data packages, good toxicology information, so that the approval process can be speeded up. Having said that, it is a real challenge. And even these agencies don't have huge resources. So as we keep coming back to them um, with our applications, then you know, it, it is a challenging area and a time-consuming area. There's been quite an investment in 1080 over the last 40, 50 years and during the reassessment process and refining. It is timely to have some investment now on these alternatives and get them through, and, and certainly we could use additional imbe- investment in that area.
2: Charles Eaton says a viable alternative to 1080 could still be six years away. 1080 now has the backing of some environmental groups, but this was not always the case.
7: We're out at the Waiora Trust in Herewood, and I'm Nicola Valence, a conservation advocate for Forest and Bird.
2: Forest and Bird once opposed 1080, but over the last decade, as concentrations and dispersal methods have been honed, it has come to support its use. Nicola Valence says without it, the predators would take over.
7: It's a process of attrition, and it will get to the point where a few generations down the track no one will believe that Kiwi used to live on the mainland in New Zealand anymore. You know, We have to remember that this country not so long ago had kākāpō from one end of the country to the other. Now, they didn't just move away to Codfish Island. They're there because they can't live in an area where they're are introduced mammal pests. So if it's got four legs and fur, uh, unfortunately it's creating havoc.
2: On the streets of Wellington, far away from bush and farmland, the 1080 debate seems remote. Penny Fairbrother coordinates the Animal Health Board's research programme into the control and eradication of bovine TB. She says the protesters are getting more organised and more strident.
8: I've been with the Animal Health Board for seven years. I did notice when I first started you'd talk to your average Wellington suburbanite and they'd go 1080 watt. Now they go, 1080, that's that really bad stuff, isn't it? So I don't necessarily think that the opposition to it has grown. I think the opposition, those groups have become louder and they are starting to be heard by other groups in New Zealand.
2: Ms Fairbrother says the Animal Health Board spends about $55 million a year on possum control, but only 5% of that for aerial 1080 drops. As well as domestic pressure to stop 1080 use, there are moves to ban it in the United States where it's manufactured. Ms Fairbrother says even if the US factory was shut down, an identical compound could be sourced from China. She believes the chances of a ban are remote and she says there's no need to stop using a poison that's been effective for 50 years.
8: I don't think people realise exactly how good they've got it with 1080 here in New Zealand. There's many, many things about it that make it really good for use here in New Zealand and there's so much research behind it and we've gotten so refined at using it that I would actually find it a real shame to be thrown out just because something new comes along. What if the something new is not as good? What if it has other effects that we don't know about yet because it hasn't had the benefit of being used in research for 50 years? I don't think we should throw the baby out with the bathwater just because a certain group of people don't like it. I think we need to get more vocal.
2: The Department of Conservation has also stepped up its effort to win the hearts and minds of the public. This year it opened up an operation in Southland to public scrutiny. But PR exercises are unlikely to change the view of staunch 1080 opponents like Laurie Collins, who also fears the possible alternatives.
4: I honestly think that the days of 1080 are numbered, and my big concern is not when it will stop, it's what they're going to replace it with. They're spending a fortune at the moment on trying to get some sort of alternative, suitable to the big money men, which will not be suitable to the public. Views
2: like that mean that even if 1080 use is phased out, the debate about aerial pest control is unlikely to disappear.
0: That Radio New Zealand Insight programme was written and presented by Matthew Peddy. Technical production was by Jeremy Veal and it was produced by Sue Ingram.